Welcome to Hockey Prospect Radio. Your voice for prospect news and analysis on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Now, here's hosts Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. Welcome to Season 18, Episode 24, powered by Instat Hockey, often the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide in Junior Prospect Hockey League. Western Canada's newest developmental stream for student athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level at JuniorProspectHockeyLeague.com. So we're happy to bring in once again Pat Malloy in our player development segment about building an NHL player. And, and this week we're going to talk about Cameron Butler and what's intriguing about him. And we talk, we've talked about big power style players in the past, about the long-term trajectory of them and how much of they really need a long runway and you know my emphasis of like why doesn't the chl have 620s instead of three just to emphasize the development and how important it is and you look at a guy like cam butler who went undrafted and now as a 20 year old it you know got signed by the columbus blue jackets and i think it's also it's a testament and a reminder to players that it's okay that you don't get drafted sometimes it like it's not the end of the world particularly if you're a bigger player such as him who they need to refine their game and figure out how to play in that big body, especially when you dominated physically your whole life. And now you start to like play up against some players who are just as big as you. Okay. Then how do you adjust to that? Cause you know, the next step is the pro game where everybody's big and strong. Talk a little bit about that process and that journey you've made with Cameron Butler in that respect. Yeah, I mean, we touched on it last week when when talking about you know Nick Paul and, and another big frame, another another big boy. Uh, you know, when when I came to meet Cam, um, you know, he was a player that was certainly highly touted in the Ontario Hockey League. You know, coming out of of the Ottawa area, and 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 obviously, um, when you have someone that's six four, six five, right shot can really skate. Um, what you start to see is, is, you know, they get there and they've got these pre-ingrained habits that, you know, I'm bigger than everyone. Um, you know, I can do things and bully my way around. And then as you've touched on, you get to a level where everyone can skate. They're just as big. Uh, and the ones that aren't as big are just as strong. And, and then how do I, how do I figure this out? How does it all work? And so, you know, when I first did a dive on, on what he was as a player, you know, you everything with me typically becomes word of mouth amongst players and can this player come out and he reached out and sure. And, um, you know, you start to see him in, in person and, and then, you know, I think he recognized and I recognize we can, we can do some things together here. And so you do a deep dive on his game. And one of the first things that I recognize is, is he was just so ingrained about being bigger and stronger um, and straight line hockey that it was really almost to his detriment. And, and so, you know, exposing pucks when you're six foot four, six foot five is almost unforgivable being that you've got a, a physical advantage that you've been blessed with yet. It's not an advantage at all. If you don't create it um, as a, you know, leverage it as a strength. And so a lot of it just became cleaning up things from a player that could rely on, you know, big fella moving quick and straight lines that worked at the minor hockey level heading into junior and, you know, as, as a 16 year old in the O, obviously, you know, you get different limited opportunities compared to when you're a little bit older. And so, you know, it, it really became a thing where let's introduce you to the modern game and the modern um, power forward style of play. And, 
And that's what we did. You know, I really tried to do a deep dive on, on his games during the season previous to, to learn as much as I could about the way that he moved, the, the way that he used the strengths that he had, um, the way that he didn't really recognize the strengths that he, he didn't know he had um, and build a development plan to build him into a modern um, power forward as it is today in, in 22, 23. That's really interesting, Pat, that, that you've been working with Cameron Butler because I remember in his draft season from a scouting perspective, the huge knock uh, with the kid was that he was basically a complimentary, a very enigmatic player where if you got his best game, he looked like a player. You get his worst couple games, there was nothing there. There was an off switch. There was a lack of battery life within him. From a skills perspective, how do you how do you work on that element of his game? And how do you how do you help develop that consistency that was definitely lacking? And one of the major reasons that he was not drafted and had to sign as a free agent. You know, I, I think really it started mentally um, with him in that it was almost as if things didn't go the way that they were supposed to go or the way he thought they should go or the way someone had said, this is success for you. It was almost like he would get confused as to how do I contribute. And so I think it was as much trying to help him recognize what he was as a player, what his trajectory was as a player, and not being confused because I think at times, especially in hockey scouting, that um, that look of on or off or that disinterest in one game or perceived you know engagement in another game wasn't a lack of engagement at all. It was more that I found you know recognizing what I am and how can I positively contribute to a game while being what I'm expected to be, and then you know maybe having a better understanding of what I am and what I can be was what is what I really found. I didn't find it was a desire or a compete thing. Um, what I, I found it was almost like he was confused about what he was as a player. And you know when we really dug into that, recognized number one, you're going to get opportunities afforded to you based on physical gifts. He moves really well for a big player. Um, has good puck skills you know, can shoot a puck, has a decent brain for the game, obviously. And, and so I think it was just recognizing sometimes you've got to set the table to eat yourself, if that makes sense. And so getting him to understand what that actually looked like and what that actually was and how do we set up plays with the puck on your stick, you know, to, to leverage them to your strengths, you know, how do we create scenarios where when we don't have the puck, you know, we can tilt the, the, the play into our favor based on the reads that we make, based on the recognition of, you know, if I create this setting in this particular play, you know, I'm now set up to succeed. So, you know, preemptively establishing body position net front, for instance, is just to give you an example, um, you know, or arriving in spots because he's got a pretty good shot. Um, but for a big guy, he's a typical big guy shooter when I first met him, which is I'm just going to power this through. Um, so there wasn't a lot of deception to his movement, if that made sense. It was just, I'm a big guy, I'm moving pretty fast, and I'm going to use momentum here, and I'm going to try to rip one. Well, at junior, you can get away with that a little bit. But as we know, climbing to the National Hockey League, it's going to be a thing where everybody's big, and if they're not, they're strong. You know, attack angles, timing, sticks, all the details of it. And so, you know, for him, it's it's creating some complementary skills to support the natural gifts that he has, and then really understanding application, you know, skills and application is about it. So, you know, for a player like that to be jumping over stuff or flipping tires or, you know, doing all this kind of stuff that has no bearing on his ability to contribute in a game, you know, it was for him, you know, he was kind of caught up in that and that 
you know, at a young age, players are exposed to things that are called skills that aren't really skills at all. And, and so, you know, the journey with him is I discovered here's a really passionate kid that wants to get better. Um, here's a kid with a work ethic through the roof. Here's a kid that's not afraid to ask questions and is inquisitive as to how do I round out different things that are going to help me succeed. And um, the process has is, is just been awesome with, with Cam. I mean, he's, he's a great kid. And, um, you know, I was happy last year that there was certainly some interest, obviously, from the development camp standpoints and stuff. He got a chance to go to Detroit last year and, in rookie camp and, and some time in training camp. And I mean, everything that's that's coming to him has certainly been a byproduct of him just buying into the process of getting better. And um, I'm just so proud of him. Yeah, you just uh, before we let you go, just it was an interesting point about him setting the table for himself. And I think sometimes players get told a narrative about this is who you are at a really young age and they believe in it. And that that issue that they have, and that's something that Brad had brought up, it's, it's really about that player actually being self-aware and being confused. Wait a minute, they're telling me this, but I know internally I'm this, but I don't want to question them because I feel like I have to be almost subservient to the coach or the scout or the GM who is telling me this is what you are when I know that's not who I am. And I'm just going to like go along for the ride. And then you just get caught as the middleman in that situation until you have, you have somebody or you decide this is who I am and this is what I'm going to do. Well, what you see with players like that is, is it's, it's just too easy for those guys to get turned into chip, run into something low to high, hard to the net, you know, stand in front, bang and crash you know, things like moving on first touch, big frame. So now you have an inherent advantage, you know, make contact, move on touch, create some seams and some openings based on A, the, 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 the gift that you have in terms of size and strength. Now combine that with some understanding of how to dictate terms of play. Now we're starting to talk about building a more modern power forward. And so it was really just maybe getting away from some of the cliche things that the hockey world can bestow upon a player of that size and stature and recognizing there's more to his skill set than just being a guy to run into stuff um, and and be belligerent, if you will. Pat, I want to thank you very much for coming on our show again, giving us great insight of Cameron Butler. And we're going to take a short break, and we'll be back right after these messages. Instat Hockey offers the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. Trusted by leagues, teams, coaches, and scouts at every level of the game. There is no better choice than Instat to help in the areas of evaluation, development, and exposure for your brand. Their unmatched database saves coaches and scouts hours of time as individual player shifts and stats are pre-cut into separate playlists. Also, the option to edit, share, or download your own clips using Instat instats video editing tools visit instatsport.com hockey today for more information instat the institute of statistics the junior prospect hockey league is western canada's newest elite developmental stream for student athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level the jphl features professional coaches and skill development coaches along with comprehensive practice game and academic schedule allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs to learn more and see why the jphl is the ideal choice for your student athlete and family visit juniorprospectshockeyleague.com Outside Edge has built a reputation for guiding hockey players toward their potential and provides on and off ice development programs for hockey players. 
Outside Edge Hockey Development operates all programs on the philosophy of quality over quantity. Our strength, skills, and mental coaches understand the demands of the game and use this knowledge to develop strength, speed, and energy systems so our athletes can reach their potential. The Outside Edge programming features KPI-based strength and conditioning programs, skating, and skill development sessions for pro, junior, midget, phantom, and peewee. Contact us today at outsideedge.ca. You're listening to Hockey Prospect Radio on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We're back and powered by Instat Hockey, offering the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. We're happy to bring on Jason Bukula in our Scouts Perspective segment. And the topic this week is evaluating NCAA college free agents because that's that time of year, Jason, where the hype machine jumps up about these college free agents. And it's funny because in the States, I don't hear very much about it from the other networks. And it's really, it mostly comes out of Canada. It comes out of TSN and Sportsnet. So, you know, from your perspective of being in that position where, you know, obviously evaluating college free agents, trying to find there are diamonds in the rough that will play, you know, the 200 plus games in NHL, but you know, the vast majority of them that I've seen end up having really long careers in the American league and we'll get cups of coffees in the NHL thoughts on that process and try not to get caught up with the outside noise of, you know, who's going to be this, you know, the prize this year for free agent signings in college hockey. Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. Like perspective is everything when you're signing these guys. Um, if they've been an undrafted player coming through the USHL or even tier two hockey in Canada, I don't care where they came from. It doesn't matter. Uh, if they've been an undrafted player and it took them a little bit longer to develop, um, there was a reason for that at the beginning. And now they've spiked at the back end of their NCAA career, which could mean that they're 22, 23, and in some cases, 24 years old. So there's a multitude of strategies that go into those types of scenarios. Of course, one is the length of the entry level contract, uh, depending on age. Uh, you know, if you get a kid that's 24 years old, um, you know, you can sign them to that one year risk deal and, and you know, just see how it goes and get to know each other type thing. And it might be uh, it might be a good risk and the, the cost association is a deep. Um, but, you know, if I look at a guy, you know, I'm doing some work right now trying to pinpoint some of the guys that I would recommend for signing if I was running a, a team. And, you know, Jake Livingston, for example, I mean, Kato is getting a lot of uh, attention. Um, you know, he's a big body, right shot D, um, produces offensively at the college level. He's a little bit older. He's heavy, but he's not really a hard player. Like he's an area, he's a big body who's hard to uh, maneuver around more than he closes on you and punishes you a great deal. Um, real good distributor, real good pass for the puck. But there's some things there, Shane, that um, to your point, how some of these guys end up being really good American League players, like, uh, on the penalty kill, when he jumps from the net to the corner to take away time and space, or he's got to angle up to the hash, he does it at his own pace, like his adjusted pace for the NCAA game. He needs to get about 25 to 30% faster at the pro level in order to defend in that role, if that makes sense. So um, that's how some of these guys end up only being college players that transfer or transform into American League players. He can still produce offense, but some of the other quick areas, small areas stuff that makes you an NHL player 
it's uh, it's even harder for them to accomplish that. To your point, Jason, when it when it comes to processing speed, I, I always find like college a lot of college players in general and free agent they get hyped and then they fail to live up to expectation. You know, I, I I was high on Adam Gaudet, for instance, mm -hmm. uh, Sakura out of Chicago system, Jack Dugan, and uh, all of these kids really struggled. Uh, Jimmy Vesey, one of the most hyped ever, right? Not not having the career I think a lot of people thought. So interesting observation you make there about the speed at which they need to get to. Um, my question for you is where where do you find this uh, free agent uh, uh, grouping is relative to other years? Do you feel this is a strong year, a weak year? Where are you? I'm actually thinking that it's pretty deep, to be honest with you. Like there's been years where I've gone through my process and literally because, you know, there's only 50 contracts, Brad, as you know, and these guys want NHL deals. Um, there might be an anomaly that slips through the cracks and he'll go on a, on a ATO at the end of the year and we'll see how it goes. Right. Um, but for the most part, if you're a good college player, you want a contract and there's only 50 of those. So there's been years where I've only had honestly, three or four guys that I said to myself, okay, I would offer this guy a deal. And of course, at that time, there's 31 other teams, you know, sniffing around that guy because there's, if there's only three or four, we're, we're not all, you know, that dumb that we were, you know, like we're all probably looking at the same guys. Right. So um, this year though, I honestly have what I would qualify as a solid group of 10 to 12 guys that I think uh, are worthy of uh, the risk, if you will. Um, and I think that there's a small core in there that actually project to have a chance at NHL roster games sooner than later. So I like this group, um, but I also want to temper my expectation because uh, Shane would love this. And I know you guys do, you do, too. But historically, I've been doing this long enough that, you know, after 18 years of doing it, you know, you, I'm not as excited as I was when I was in year three of doing this, where I'm like, oh, this guy's a can't miss, you know, now it's like, okay, historically I temper my expectations and I try and be more realistic, but um, to the credit of the group, I think there's 10 or 12 guys that really do have a chance. Is what's the conversations like with, you know, the assistant general manager or the general managers when you're looking to sign those players and say, you know, yes, this is what the outside noise is saying. This is what's really going on. And here is the probabilities of really where his range is. Say, you know, I think he'll play this in the American League. If he does get up to the NHL level, this is where the range I think he plays and how many games would be realistic for him to get. If he succeeds that and our player development department does a great job and so does a kid, it's all gravy. And like, are those the types of conversations you end up, you have to have to try to like temper the enthusiasm? Because everybody is, is, subjected to the amount of noise and regardless of how much we like to close those windows and doors off, you know, we're still human beings and it still, you know, affects the decision-making process. Yeah. You you're, and I would suggest to you that upper management listens to that even more than someone like me, because when they're not in the rink all the time, they, they're, they're, you know, going over data or they're looking at reports and periodicals or they're watching, you know, you guys or sports. Like, you know what I mean? Like they're they're hearing things and and they, they they'll pick up the phone and say, geez, I'm hearing good things about player A and player B. Let's take a shot at this guy. And um, there's a little bit of a process here, Shane. Uh, I've been fortunate because I've worked with like uh, Brian McCabe's and the Chris Prongers and, and this in my role, most Roberto Luongo, even one of the goalies. Uh, most recently in Florida. So first thing you do is you look at your organizational depth and then you have a realistic 
outlook on your timing for when your your drafted guys are going to be hitting your organization. So is he a junior guy coming in in two years? Is he a Euro coming in in three or four years? Where do we need to fill some spots in our organization? Does this guy have a realistic chance at NHL games? If not, what's the worst case scenario? He's an organizational depth guy in the American League. Why are we satisfied if that's if that's what it is? Okay, so you ask yourself the question, Ray Lahoff. Then, of course, player development says to me, well, what are his areas of strengths and weakness? And I do my best to identify those. Caber would come to a game with me. He'd agree or disagree. And then he'd say to himself, I can coach that up. Like, I think I can fix that. You know what I mean? Like, with direction, I think our player development can fix this. And then that's when you go to Dale and you say, we feel comfortable uh, with our timeline in the organization, with uh, how our organization is turning over prospects, that this is a good risk. Um, Here's the costs associated to it. Here's what his strengths and weaknesses are going to be out of the gate. And here's where we think we can make him a better player to give him a chance at recall games to start, for example, or, you know, in a, in a best case scenario, bottom pairing D or better, or, you know, middle six forward. I don't, we'll see where it goes, but that process has to be spoken to in every step of the ladder there. Can you talk about the communication process between you and the player? Because one thing with obviously with free agent sign is they want to make sure that they can play sooner rather than later. They want to be able to put themselves in the right position. You know, they're kind of a very unique position where they get to choose, which is yeah. very rare. Right? It doesn't happen very often in hockey. So can you just talk about the communication process and what goes into that? It, I would say it's got three prongs to it. The first one is um, the agent for sure. I mean, you know, the certain organizations have uh, certain relationships with the agent and the agency. Some have had success, some have not, and you know that that resonates. Obviously, you know. So, um, uh, one thing that I my 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 approach always, Brad, was that I would and and McCabe was the same. We wouldn't go and talk to five players and give them all the same spiel. So we would target a couple of players and a couple of uh, those agencies, if you will. And obviously, you like to talk to their coach a little bit at the college level if you can, um, but that's delicate there's a bias and you have to be realistic there sometimes to one way or the other, because sometimes they'll throw their kid under the bus because uh, uh, they want him back for another year or they see things differently. It's, it's delicate with the coach, um, but full transparency with the kid, you know, Hey Brad, I love you as a player. We love you as a player. You're on our, we're, we're talking to one other guy for this role. And uh, we might've established a relationship with him at the development camp the previous summer, and now we've tracked him and shown interest in him all throughout the season just to prove it to him. Um, but we're not one. I was number one of those guys that went in and talked to like five or six kids, gave them a false sense of hope, and then left them hanging because we went in another direction. Because I always thought if you did that, the next time you go fishing in that same pond, your reputation speaks for itself. You misled somebody. And as soon as you start misleading people and the agent feels that especially, you're not getting the client. So my, 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 if that, I'm trying to say that we would really go hard. We do our, our due diligence. Then we go hard at one or two players. And if they said, no, we'd move on to the next guy. So after, um, after that, I'm expecting when I read your column that it's going to be balanced and it's not going to be hyped, um, you know, from that respect, I'm going to give a pokey a little bit for, for that, but I, that, I'm sure that's what it's going to be. And I'm really intrigued. I'm always intrigued by the free agency, but I always temper that just because, you know, we've seen it. I've seen it for the last 17 years of like, 
there's successes, but the number of successes for how many times you go fishing, that's a whole nother matter. But that doesn't mean you still don't go fishing because you might catch the big fish in that respect. So, Jason, I want to thank you very much once again for coming on the show. Always appreciate the insight and look forward to speaking to you next week. No problem. Thanks, Shane. See you, Brad. At Jason Bugler, we're going to take a short break on Hockey Prospect Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Instat Hockey offers the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. Trusted by leagues, teams, coaches, and scouts at every level of the game. There is no better choice than Instat to help in the areas of evaluation, development, and exposure for your brand. Their unmatched database saves coaches and scouts hours of time as individual player shifts and stats are pre-cut into separate playlists. Also, the option to edit, share, or download your own clips using Instat stats video editing tools visit instatsport.com slash hockey today for more information instat the institute of statistics the junior prospect hockey league is western canada's newest elite developmental stream for student athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level the jphl features professional coaches and skill development coaches along with comprehensive practice game and academic schedule allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs to learn more and see why the jphl is the ideal choice for your student athlete and family visit juniorprospectshockeyleague.com Outside Edge has built a reputation for guiding hockey players toward their potential and provides on- and off-ice development programs for hockey players. Outside Edge Hockey Development operates all programs on the philosophy of quality over quantity. Our strength, skills, and mental coaches understand the demands of the game and use this knowledge to develop strength, speed, and energy systems so our athletes can reach their potential. The Outside Edge programming features KPI-based strength and conditioning programs, skating, and skill development sessions for pro, junior, midget, phantom, and peewee. Contact us today at outsideedge.ca. Welcome back to Hockey Prospect Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We are back in power by Instat Hockey, offering a large data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. We're happy to bring on Mike McMahon from the College Hockey News, talking about the playoffs and the tournament. Everything is set as we're recording this segment on Monday, because I know there are games on the Thursday and the Saturday. So when people are listening to the show, um, you know, some games are already going to be transpired. Obviously, the first couple games. So let's start off in Fargo. So we have Minnesota uh, versus Canassus and then St. Cloud State's playing Minnesota State, which I think is going to be a massive, nasty game. So when I look at that, I think Minnesota has a massive advantage because whoever comes out of that St. Cloud Minnesota State game, they're going to kill each other. Like they're just going to kill each other just to get to the Minnesota game. Now I'm not dismissing the other team, but Minnesota is so stacked in terms of talent that they would. Ha- I think they would have to have a bad game, and the other and they'd have to play above their heads to get through Minnesota. I think they really would. I'm not saying that it's not possible, but the odds are, I think, eighty twenty in Minnesota's favor. Yeah, that's I, I would agree. You know, Canisius has had a nice run to the end of their year here. But uh, and, and look, we've seen those teams give the number one overall seed a run in the past. Like, like AIC gave Michigan a really hard time right. last year. Right. So like we've it's happened, you know, and they and teams have won those games too. like RIT was in the frozen four 10 years ago. That's right. Uh, so, you know, it, it has happened. But I agree. I, I think this Minnesota this Minnesota team is 
is is stacked up pretty well. You know, both and they're well balanced forward defense. Their goaltender's good, uh, and and I do think they've got an advantage because, like you said, St. Cloud and Minnesota State that is going to be just a, a slugfest of a game. Uh, and this is where the the off day probably is advantageous to the St. Cloud and Minnesota State game because whoever wins that game is going to have some recovery to do, and they're going to have the ability to do that for at least an extra day before they get into Minnesota. It's not like they're going to have to come right back the next day and face Minnesota. No, and that's huge. Like, And I think that's going to be the telling sign is uh, whatever team wins, like if they're not beat up too badly, then it's going to be a war. I mean, just for fun is because obviously St. Cloud and Minnesota and Minnesota, are all, you know, like they're Minnesota-based teams. So, like, I love when the fan bases go at each other. See, I get to stand back and throw peanuts. You know, yeah. so and just like – get them all fired up so that from that standpoint that's always fun uh let's roll over to bridgeport uh where we have quinnipiac playing merrimack and then harvard is playing ohio the ohio state uh so the, <laughs> the ohio state fans don't get mad at me i'm not exactly sure what happens here like now harvard and like harvard's a good team quinnipiac is the favorite obviously of the number one seed but merrimack's a dangerous team and they bumped off some teams and they're dangerous, and and like Harvard and Ohio and Ohio State, that's going to be a tough. That's a pick 'em game as well, from my standpoint. Yeah, I think these are two 50-50 games. I honestly do, uh, and the reason I say that, especially, is you look at the first game, Quinnipiac and Merrimack, and you know, I when I look at the matchup from Merrimack standpoint, I say, well, who do they have in their league that looks like this team, right? right. Uh, and the, Quinnipiac looks a lot like UMass Lowell in, in yes. terms of how they play. Now, Quinnipiac yeah. is got a lot more skill than Lowell does this year. They have a lot more finish. Uh, you know, Colin Graff's been unbelievable for them. They've scored a lot more goals. But in terms of stylistically how they play, very similar to UMass They're gamers. Lowell. Yeah. Yeah. And Merrimack ended up going 3-0 and against Lowell this year, including yeah. a, a win on Friday in the semifinals of the league. So I, I think Merrimack can play that style. I think it's a, I think it's a tough matchup. Uh, I think this is one that kind of like St. Cloud and Minnesota State out in Fargo – could be a slugfest and, and it's going to be maybe whoever, whoever gets that last goal, uh, you know, could it, it could be one of those games where it's zero, zero, one, one, two, two. And then whoever gets to three first wins, you know, something like that. And then in the other game, I agree, Ohio state and Harvard feels like a toss up. This whole regional feels like a toss up. You could tell me that any of these four teams would win it. And I really wouldn't be surprised. No, I know. And I hope it's similar to what happened on the weekend because well, we had like the one day we had six games, or five, six games, and five of them went to overtime. It was crazy. It was, it was crazy. crazy. Like, I couldn't believe They're unbelievable games. None of these teams in this region won their conference championship. Merrimack, the four seed, was the only one that was in their conference championship game. So, yeah. you know, it's going to be – it's it's just – it's one of those toss-up regions for sure. You know, and that's what I like. It's really intriguing. If my son didn't have, like, a big hockey tournament on this weekend, you know I'm coming down again because I love – like I bump into you and we see all the guys and we get together and we get to watch like a couple regionals and drive back between you know, Bridgeport and like Manchester or Allentown, depending on which one we go to. So it's always great from that standpoint. Let's actually go into Allentown. Now, this is going to be interesting as well. So Michigan's against Colgate and then Penn State and Michigan Tech. Now, Michigan's clearly the favorite against Colgate. Penn State and Michigan State, I'm not I, like that. Michigan Tech and Penn State, I'm going to have to defer to you on that because that seems like a flip, like a coin flip to me as well. It does. And if you look at Penn State, they're, they're one of the teams that has been uh, 
that have struggled the most coming into the tournament. I think they only have four wins since the beginning of February. Right. Uh, they're like four and ten in their last fourteen games or something. They're, they they really had a lot of success at the beginning of the year. Uh, so that one. I mean, Michigan Tech has been very consistent, consistently good throughout the entire year. Penn State's played a tougher schedule because the Big Ten is a stronger league than the CCHA yeah. for sure. Um, but, you know, it's just it's a matter of what do you believe more? Do you, do you think the fact that Penn State has struggled, but they played a tougher schedule, is that going to give them an advantage? Is Michigan Tech the fact that they've had success? Maybe hasn't played a strong of a schedule, but have had success. Is that an advantage? Both teams had off last weekend. How do they react to the bye week? Uh, and then ultimately, uh, Michigan and Colgate, you know, again, Colgate's had a nice run. It's been a Cinderella run for them. But uh, Michigan just looks like they're they're too powerful uh, for, for Colgate to stop. It just more. This will be the most offensive team that Colgate has faced all year. The most skilled team, I think that Colgate has faced all year. So it's a big challenge for them. And quite frankly, I think it's going to be a big challenge for, for any of those three to knock off Michigan. Michigan feels like the team that comes out of this bracket. Yeah. And that's really the interesting thing I look at. I'm curious to see what happens with Penn state. You know, when you get in kind of a bit of a lull as they have, and you know, they, they obviously won a ton of games right before Christmas. And then it's been kind of up and down, up and down to the point of being actually a bit bad. Um, do like what's their mindset coming into that kind of tournament? That's where I'm really interested is like, what's their mindset going in is like, do they have like, Hey, it's nothing to lose. We play really great and we know we can play great and we haven't played great lately, but then what do we do after that? So that's what I'm really intrigued with. Okay. Let's roll over to Manchester, Denver and Cornell in one matchup and then Boston university and Western Michigan. My gut says it's Boston university and Denver that win their games. But I could be wrong. I could be wrong. And we could have some, like, maybe a little bit of an upset there. Because Boston University has been pretty strong this year. And Denver's Denver. Right? Yeah. Until proven wrong, yeah, th- Denver's Denver. This bracket feels like, you know, if you had to kind of pick, you know, you get in the World Cup and they'll talk about the pool of death. And, like, right. this, is the word, this is the hardest one to get out of. This feels like it's the hardest one to get out of to me yeah. uh, because Western Michigan up until a couple of weeks ago, Western Michigan was a top 10 team. BU's been a top 10 team. Denver's been a top five top team. Yeah. And even Cornell was a top 10 team, you know, for most of the year kind of fluttering right around 10, 11, 12 uh, until right at the end of the year here. So it's, you've got four top 10 teams in this bracket, like <laughs> essentially uh, this is, this is a tough one to call Western Michigan and BU two really good offenses. Western Michigan statistically has the, the best offense in the country, yeah. yeah. you know, and their top line is, is remarkable. And BU's banged up. BU's had some guys that, that got hurt this past weekend. Are they going to be fully healthy? We don't know. We don't know a couple of guys are going to be out in case McCarthy broke his collarbone on Friday. He's definitely yeah. out. Uh, so uh, how banged up are they? Dom Fensori was even banged up coming into the weekend. There was talk about that. Uh, so he played, but you know, is he a hundred percent? Who knows? Uh, so that that's a tough draw for BU. And then, like you said, Denver, Cornell. I mean, Cornell's a big, heavy team. They can lean on Denver a little bit, but I think Denver can play that style too. Uh, no matter what, I mean, this is one of those matchups where the, the two winners uh, are going to be limping into the championship game on Saturday because I think they're both going to get beat up on Thursday. Yeah, so like as we go through, we got a couple minutes left. Let's each choose which who's coming out of each regional. So in Fargo... I think it's Minnesota. You're who are you take. I agree. Okay. I agree. I would go Minnesota. Bridgeport, as much as I would like to go for my Harvard University, I'm gonna go I have to say Quinnipiac is the team out of Bridgeport. 
this one's hard. You know, uh, I I actually think this one could be one of the lower seeds, the three or the four. Uh, you know, if if one of those teams wins their game, I think they're going to have an advantage in the final. Are you um, man, it's hard. I, I'm going to go. You know what? I'm going to go with the team that was in a championship game last week. I'll take Merrimack. There we go. All right, Allentown, Michigan. As much Michigan. As you, yeah, I think that's pretty. Now, Manchester, that's a tough one. Um, you know, I'd like to say BU for my buddy Bernie Corbett, but I'm going to have to go Denver until proven otherwise. So I'm going Denver out of Manchester. Yeah, I would probably lean Denver too. Uh, I think Western has a shot. I really do, uh, especially if they get by BU. And, and they go with how banged up BU. Yeah, and how banged up they are with against BU, or how, how banged up BU is right now. Excuse me. Uh, you know, I think I, I think Western will win that first game, uh, and then Denver and 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 Western have played some close games earlier in the year. Denver swept them uh, right at the end of the year. Denver swept Western uh, at at home. Uh, so at Western Michigan, excuse me. So uh, that is going to play into it a little bit. I think it's a real. It's 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 one of those like too close to call type games. Uh, but I do think Denver on paper looks like the stronger team. Well, Mike, thank you very much for coming on the show, giving us great insight into the regionals. Uh, can't wait for the action on the weekend on Thursday and Saturday, and uh, we'll see who goes to the frozen four. Sounds good. Right, uh, we're going to take a short break on hockey prospect radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Instat hockey offers the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. Trusted by leagues, teams, coaches, and scouts at every level of the game. There is no better choice than Instat to help in the areas of evaluation, development, and exposure for your brand. Their unmatched database saves coaches and scouts hours of time as individual player shifts and stats are pre-cut into separate playlists. Also, the option to edit, share, or download your own clips using Instat Instat's video editing tools. Visit instatsport.com slash hockey today for more information. Instat, the Institute of Statistics. The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Outside Edge has built a reputation for guiding hockey players toward their potential and provides on- and off-ice development programs for hockey players. Outside Edge Hockey Development operates all programs on the philosophy of quality over quantity. Our strength, skills, and mental coaches understand the demands of the game and use this knowledge to develop strength, speed, and energy systems so our athletes can reach their potential. The Outside Edge programming features KPI-based strength and conditioning programs, skating, and skill development sessions for pro, junior, midget, phantom, and peewee. Contact us today at outsideedge.ca. Prospect News and Analysis. This is Hockey Prospect Radio with Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We are back in Pirate by Instat Hockey, offering the largest video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. Now, it is our segment around the AHL with Patrick Williams. Patrick, thanks for coming on the show. We always appreciate it. Great. Great to be here again. Thanks. 
So let's, uh, the next two play teams on the list is Iowa and Laval. So let's start in Iowa. Now, Tim Army's been there as the head coach for a few years, which is great. So I always love the stability of the coaching staffs in the American Hockey League. He has a great track record as a coach at multiple levels. One of the things I'm really interested to hear is, so it's been, you know, a few years now that Bill Guerin's come in and implemented, you know, different staff, uh, different philosophy, different expectations, um, different mandates on the American Hockey League in Iowa. So thoughts and observations on what you've seen over the last couple of years when those changes have come into place and how do you think that's affecting the franchise long-term? Because, you know, Minnesota's had to do, will have to do a lot of heavy lifting because they have some cap issues up top that they inherited. And now they're trying to make up for it with, you know, some savvy deals, but most importantly, drafting and developing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like, yeah, you you start with Tim Army, right? So you're talking somebody that's got, over 30, 35 years of experience and also at, at, you know, various levels, right? Like he long career in the college game at Providence. And then also like, you know, a lot, another, I guess when you have 35 years, you've, you've, you've done a lot in a lot of places, but um, assistant coach a long time in the NHL with uh, multiple uh, franchises, head coach at the AHL level, even before he got to Iowa. And they also even an assistant coach in the AHL with Wilkes-Barre Scranton, which was obviously one of the uh, you dominant know, teams, real productive, dominant, yeah, um, farm systems for a long time uh, at that, you know, during that period. So um, when you got to Iowa, obviously, like he had an impeccable resume in, in that sense. And he's a great teacher, right? Like extremely patient, um, you know, meshes well with young personalities, um and you know i think i think that they really connect well with him like he's one of those coaches that like you know it's not just a player to him like it's almost like a son um and you know know, really takes care of his players in that sense so um so that's the first thing and you know i think overall just i mean so so for minnesota for a long time their player developments um was a real struggle uh not unlike colorado actually and you had iowa i mean they didn't really, really produce players, and they didn't. They and they didn't at the and, HL level. And the numbers proved out. They were they were in the yeah. bottom five at the, in from 2006 to 2015. They were in the bottom five of the league of producing NHL players. They just they just weren't developing them. Yeah, and so you didn't have that. You didn't have that develop. You weren't. It wasn't. You weren't putting players in right, and you weren't creating a winning environment. And you know, it was just not a not a great setup, right? And so. You bring in Tim Army, and he's just you know this whole different type of personality, right? Like, and um, that really breathed a lot of like new life, uh, you know, optimism, enthusiasm into that whole operation. Where you know it's been a losing operation for for a long time, quite frankly. And so you have this guy that comes in, and he's you know, it's been time with Colorado Avalanche, right? Like he had. Um, even a year as a video coach, like he's done a little bit of everything. And so like, he has a good sort of like, you know, 360 view of, of the whole, um, whole job of running an American hockey league team, uh, you know, from the coaching side of things. And um, I thought he's, he's done a fantastic job really turning around. And I think you look at a player like Marco Rossi, I don't think yes. in the past that they would have had him in Iowa as long as, as he's been right. And they, so there, there's a much more patient approach now, um, and it's much more of a it's much more of a meritocracy, right? Like if you're you can be a lower round pick, right? But if you're the guy that's producing in Iowa, 
you're going to get the call up now um, rather than somebody is, you know, a higher round pick, you know, for the sake of that. Right. So, so Rossi, you know, like they've taken a real uh, honest patient approach with him. Like he's well aware what their, 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 their plan is for him. Uh, and after he started the season up in Minnesota, it did go great. They've had, they kept him down and, uh, they've really resisted like that urge to put a player on the elevator, right? You know, up one day, down the next day, right? Like so, so he's able to settle in, really kind of uh, integrate himself into the AHL club, and um, I think it's a much better, much more productive way of, of developing players than, than the old way of kind of like you know just a lot of it, just doing it on the fly and, and crossing your fingers and hoping for the best. Exactly. And I think, you know, this, the two franchises sort of mirror image each other that we're talking about. And next is Laval. Mm -hmm. And in Laval from, you know, you look at the Montreal Canadiens draft and development record from 2006 to 2015, those first 10 years of the salary cap era, they were last in the Mm -hmm. NHL. They, I think they produced 11 players like in a decade. And a lot of that was based on, you know, player valuation and development in their farm team. And, you know, we have a new regime coming in, obviously, with, with Kent Hughes and and uh, new coaching staffs and, like, a greater emphasis on player development. And thoughts of what you've seen and observed over, like, the last year of sort of the changes you've seen in Laval in terms of philosophy and communication and just their overall – your overall sense of the direction that they're taking. Well, you you know, if you're not productive at the HL level, eventually you won't be productive at the NHL level. There's a lag time, but you know, it's, it's it catches up. A, it catches up with you. You can only run away from that or avoid that for so long before that lack of productivity um, really comes back. And yeah, and, and the only way they got away with it for so long is that a goaltender named Carey Price. Yes, and that was the same yeah, situation yeah. that New Jersey had with Martin Berter. Like sooner or later, it once those guys retire, then you really start to see that the bottom of the box is falling out. Yeah, uh, a top goalie will, will uh, mask a lot of uh, deficiencies, a lot of weak spots in your whole operation, and and that yeah, that's a great comparison, Brodor and Price, and eventually yeah, he caught up with the Habs in that in that way because like for years, I mean, they just didn't produce players. Coming up for their AHL system, right? Like whether it was Hamilton, St. John's, or even when they moved into Laval, it was kind of a you know a, a dead zone of it really being able to, to you know, kind of the opposite of like a Providence, where they just churn out every year two or three yeah. really useful role players. Well, yeah, yeah they exactly. That's like what the Ontario Reign do. That's what the Hershey Bears do. That's what San Diego has done forever with Anaheim. Like you look at those four franchises we mentioned or five franchises, Wilkes-Barre had done it, you know, under Ray Shiro's watch from like 06 to 15, they were a juggernaut of just pumping out players. Mm -hmm. You know, you you really do notice like the difference between the, the really the haves and the have nots and like what's really going on there. Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, you know, everyone, every it's, it's interesting. Everyone still so heavily focuses on the draft, and, and right, rightfully so. And they ignore what happens other, after. That's fifty percent of the of the, of the equation. And you have a whole other, um, you know, element of that, right? Like that, and that's a multi-year element too, right? Like the draft is a one-year, maybe one and a half-year thing, right? Like you know, from the time you're kind of like a player comes on your radar to the time you you, you yeah, you're looking at it might be two years, two and a half years, depending. Play on the situation, yeah, but yeah. player development that can be that can be up to maybe a four year, five year uh, process, five year, right? From you know eighteen to twenty three ish, and if if that's not working for you, you're 
you can draft as well as you you know as well as you'd like. If you're putting players into a system that's not set up for success, eventually, you know that's going to catch up with you. And, and you know that's a you know I mean I think that's an overlooked part of the whole you know really the whole step of getting a player from like a 16 year old to get him into the NHL. And that's a long it's a long uh, you know, stage of uh, events, but. Um, you know, you, you have to, you have to invest heavily now, like, you know, skills coaches. And I think I, we, we've really started to see that now with Laval, like they have a lot of these skill coaches now coming in, working with the team, uh, different, different things. Uh, I think, I think it is a huge help having the team in Laval. You're 20 minutes away from, from the big team. You're not off in, let's say St. John's, um, where, you know, it was just, it's easy to kind of forget about the team. Right. And like, you know, now now everybody's there, front and center. Uh, you can't really avoid it, uh, and uh, the players are just under much uh, much uh, scrutiny is not the right word, but just a uh, much heavier you know microscope, right? Like, and if there's if there's a, a part of a player's game that isn't working, you can get on that 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 sooner. You know, when you have those those resources there available. So, I mean, that that's just. Uh, it's a huge, a huge part of the, the development uh, cycle. People really don't think about it, but uh, you and I both know how, how, how important that is. Well, it's interesting that you say that because, you know, because you cover the AHL exclusively and you're embedded in into that league and one of the only people that actually does that on a national level. I think you are the only person that does on a national <laughs> level. It's just like when, you know, I'm focused on the draft and, and development as well. So you and I inter- we intersect our worlds a lot. It's just, it's amazing to me. And you mentioned it, like all the focus is on the draft and then everybody in the media, um, because their focus is primarily NHL or the draft, because it's this big ticket item and big Mm -hmm. event, then everybody forgets about what's happening afterwards. And it's really like, for me, from an operational standpoint, if you're looking at an NHL team, like a fortune 500 company, that's your main focus of operations is that. Because you just can't, there's not enough mechanisms in place to make up for bad drafting developing. Sooner or later, you're you're going to get crushed, and that's just the way it is. So, yeah. but Patrick, once again, I want to thank you very much for coming on the show. Really appreciate the insight, and we look forward to speaking to you next week as well. Thank you. Sounds good. Uh, it's been. We're going to take a short break on Hockey Prospect Radio. Stay tuned for hour two. We'll be back right after these messages. Instat Hockey offers the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. Trusted by leagues, teams, coaches, and scouts at every level of the game. There is no better choice than Instat to help in the areas of evaluation, development, and exposure for your brand. Their unmatched database saves coaches and scouts hours of time as individual player shifts and stats are pre-cut into separate playlists. Also, the option to edit, share, or download your own clips using Instat instats video editing tools visit instatsport.com hockey today for more information instat the institute of statistics the junior prospect hockey league is western canada's newest elite developmental stream for student athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level the jphl features professional coaches and skill development coaches along with comprehensive practice game and academic schedule allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs to learn more and see why the jphl is the ideal choice for your student athlete and family visit juniorprospectshockeyleague.com Outside Edge has built a reputation for guiding hockey players toward their potential and provides on- and off-ice development programs for hockey players. 
Outside Edge Hockey Development operates all programs on the philosophy of quality over quantity. Our strength, skills, and mental coaches understand the demands of the game and use this knowledge to develop strength, speed, and energy systems so our athletes can reach their potential. The Outside Edge programming features KPI-based strength and conditioning programs, skating, and skill development sessions for pro, junior, midget, bantam, and peewee. Contact us today at outsideedge.ca. Welcome to Hockey Prospect Radio, your voice for prospect news and analysis on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Now, here's your hosts, Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We're back and brought to you by Outside Edge Hockey, hockey player development at outsideedge.ca. We're happy to bring in a regular guest of ours, Pat Malloy. He's a player development skills and skating coach with a, a great... Uh, record of helping players get into the NHL and and be more successful. And we're going to continue on with some additional topics uh, this season. So really excited to have him back on. And this week's topic is the use of technology in developing technical skills that translate to tactical performance. So that was a bit of a mouthful for me, Pat. But I, I want to uh, to ask you from your perspective, sort of the definition of that and then and then if you and then for for me and for our listeners is get into how, what that looks like from a player development standpoint. Yeah, for sure. You know, in today's day and age where we've got, you know, an abundance of technology, really, you know, the first thing for me was figuring out, all right, what ways can we enhance a player's ability to grasp things that allow for performance within a game? You know, video obviously has been around for a great period of time, but ultimately, how do you use those things? Is video a tool we use? For sure. But how can we use it to enhance a player's learning and and ultimately their adaptability to new concepts or techniques that will allow them to tactically perform? Um, So, you know, when looking at these different options and, and sort of what's available out there, it's exciting because you know, while there's a lot of technology, there's not necessarily a lot that um, until you start to really dig and look for it is something that becomes a tool at the coaching level. And so, you know, through going the, the trial and error and finding out the things that add value, you know, we've identified some things that certainly can make a difference when it comes time to uh, tactically enhancing a player's ability to perform and really breaking it down and reverse engineering it to you know, what techniques, what technical aspects of a, of a player's skill set uh, can we impact with use of technology? Pat, can you go over some of those different skills that you have found in the last couple of years uh, when it comes to acquiring maybe new uh, technical elements, such as one, one for me that I've noticed the last two to three years specifically, and it's, it's universal now, is uh, at the beginning phase of a deke, if it's a smaller forward, they look to actually stick check the longer, larger defenseman stick while simultaneously performing performing the the, the the beginning, middle, and end phase of the deke. Is that something that's been implemented through the type of technologies that you're uh, referring to now? Yeah, I mean, those are, those are certainly some of the areas from a technical standpoint that will wind up in a tactical setting. And things that we'll use, you know, I use a lot of on-ice video. It's great for immediate feedback during a training session. And some of what we're able to do, obviously, with, with on-ice ability, um, you know, bringing a tablet or technology with the sorts of apps and things that you can 
manipulate and put side-by-side footage on, you can take a game clip and put it beside a training clip and give, number one, you know, accurate and game-use feedback is, is obviously a huge thing. But having players recognize, you know, entry phase, um, you know, where do I initiate this portion of a technical deep, for instance, to create a reaction in a defender. And, and the great part of that is that immediate feedback, that breakdown that you're able to see at ice level versus having them conceptualize it certainly becomes fuel that they can use, um, you know, going forward to try to make small, minute, little micro adjustments, I'll call them, and maybe some of the things that they can do, you know, to ultimately get a defender to do things they're trained not to do. And so, you know, uh, we'll use that quite a lot because that immediate feedback, that ability to change angle, blow things up, slow them down, speed them up in terms of uh, immediate feedback is really crucial in terms of laying pathways for a new level of performance. Uh, actually, Pat, I'm glad you brought that up in terms of the feedback loop between the coach and the student. Well, regardless of what age that player is, they're still a student and you're still a coach. How important is it to be able to implement some of these different technologies to help the feedback loop because for players they're playing at such a high speed and you have to build in those habits so that it becomes autotelic in in many respects so that it 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 becomes habit forming but also then there's that there's a psychological positive feedback for them like oh i did this so many times and it's actually i start to see it bear fruit so what pat is telling me okay and then we go back to the training session and we keep you keep implementing different types of drills that have you know tactical um advantage so once you're on performing on the ice so that the player can you know do it with you use the technology play come back and then you know kind of close that feedback that feed loop and then just keep it going. Absolutely. I mean, when, when we take a look at, you know, give you an example, you know, a players in the national hockey league, they've got a, a five game block and they'll say, well, I've had 15 shots in five games. What's going on? Well, it's, it's really easy then to create that loop of, right. Here's those 15 shots um, that you've, you know, experienced. And why aren't we scoring? Well, we can start to see, all right, environment that they're occurring, you know, are they off the pass? Are they, are, you know, are the shots resulted off of a catch? Are they off of broken plays? Where do they originate from? But then we can start to look at from a technical standpoint. Are we just trying to power up and create a linear shot motion? Or is there deception base in our habit of skills? Do we, you know, conceptually, do we change angle as one of our base habits when we shoot a puck and we recognize, all right, well, maybe 90% of the pucks I've shot, there was really little to get people to do things they're trained not to do. So example, I don't have a real great level change or angle change in my shooting motion as a base habit. I'm just trying to power up and kill shots. Well, I think we know when we put all the numbers together, goaltenders that are set and ready are typically in an advantageous position, you know, compared to a shooter that brings average to below average shooting skills or habits to it. So one of the things we can do is look at that feedback loop and say, based on these 15 shots, we know there's some habitual things that we want to start to attack in terms of creating a little bit more higher percentage opportunity to finish on the chances that we get. And so things like that on ice video become very important. You know, digging a little deeper when we're maybe looking to, 
uh, develop a, a, a skater's explosion. One of the things that you, you know we'll do a lot in a gym, for instance, is things like a force plate. Is it a physical attribute? Is there things from a, a power production standpoint that as an athlete we need to improve? But the skating motion itself is very interesting. And so now with the advance of technology, we can use almost miniaturized force plates in the bottoms of players' skates where we can start to see, all right, there's, a, there's an inequity from a right leg to a left or vice versa. And we can start to diagnose, all right, we get very strong power activation and thrust from our right leg versus our left. And then we can start to dig into the why. Is it an athletic issue? Is it a technique issue? And so there's another example of things from a technical standpoint that we can impact with use of newer technology. How important is for you to be able to reverse engineer through through video uh, when you're looking at uh, how goals are scored? For instance, like in the NHL now, we know primarily through being able to track uh, the results and be able to see through video that low to high danger lateral passes are one of the most important aspects when it comes to creating a goal. Because as you said, the goalie doesn't get to be a, uh, an opportunity to set be set in time. Uh, do you ever look at the 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 conclusion of what leads to a goal and then basically reverse engineer and draw back and look at look at the steps that then uh, that then created the effect of the goal uh, and then say okay where can a player uh, improve in terms of how we set up this lateral pass and then on the other side of that how the skating pattern of say the backdoor option that came down the wing uh, to result in the in the goal itself is that is that kind of the how you look at it and draw from it Similar. I mean, the genesis of, of certainly of a scoring chance, we'll certainly look at origin and location. Um, but, you know, ultimately, a lot of times where we'll go with it is, is you know, typically a goal scorer is, is the non-possessing player that winds up scoring the goal. You know, it's rare, especially in the National Hockey League, to start a play and finish it all with the puck in your stick. So it really, you know, we'll start to look at um, the ideas of puck acquisition. Where where am I going to acquire a puck, uh, and what you know what movements? And so from that perspective, starting to see the trends of um, pattern recognition. Am I putting myself in places that support a um, a goal scoring opportunity? Support you know my possession, uh, my my teammate that has possession of the puck. And then when we sink it back down, is is shot selection appropriate to where I've acquired the puck? Um, and so there's, a, you know, quite a bit that goes into it, you know, starting with location and origin of play is certainly something. But I think from a tech, you know, using the, the technology available to us, really that pattern recognition of recognizing, you know, if I'm all around the puck or I'm creating opportunities, but they're from lower percentage areas, are the, the things I'm doing for acquisition of the puck appropriate with producing at a higher level and so things like that video where we can take opportunities and, and take a little more granular look at you know am I in the spots to create the best opportunity for success and what does that look like and be able to use comparable video and, and you know sometimes it's video from your own team or someone that's having success or sometimes it's video of, of the, that individual player when they were doing things at a little bit higher rate and you know, might consider themselves slumping, what's changed? What things are you doing? Are you, are, you know, is the other team playing you harder or are you maybe not doing some of the things or have lost your way um, that allowed you to have success in past and got away from some of those skills and habits? 
Pat, great topic this week. Really look forward to uh, the next following weeks as we delve into the into the subject matter uh, more deeply. Uh, thank you for coming on the show again. We always appreciate and safe travels. Appreciate it, guys. Always, uh, always a pleasure. That's Pat Malloy, uh, skills coach, player development. Uh, Brad and I are going to take a short break. We'll be back on Hockey Prospect Radio right after these messages. The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Instat Hockey offers the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. Trusted by leagues, teams, coaches, and scouts at every level of the game. There is no better choice than Instat to help in the areas of evaluation, development, and exposure for your brand. Their unmatched database saves coaches and scouts hours of time as individual player shifts and stats are pre-cut into separate playlists. Also, the option to edit, share, or download your own clips using Instat Instat's video editing tools. Visit instatsport.com slash hockey today for more information. Instat, the Institute of Statistics. Outside Edge has built a reputation for guiding hockey players toward their potential and provides on and off ice development programs for hockey players. Outside Edge Hockey Development operates all programs on the philosophy of quality over quantity. Our strength, skills, and mental coaches understand the demands of the game and use this knowledge to develop strength, speed, and energy systems so our athletes can reach their potential. The Outside Edge programming features KPI-based strength and conditioning programs, skating, and skill development sessions for pro, junior, midget, phantom, and peewee. Contact us today at outsideedge.ca. You're listening to Hockey Prospect Radio on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We're back in Powered by Instat Hockey, offering the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. We're happy to bring on Pat Malloy for our player development segment, who's a player development and skills coach, skating coach. He's worked for uh, multiple NHL teams. Pat, once again, thank you very much for coming on the show. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Well, the topic this week is lessons learned from working with some of the best players in the world. Fascinating topic. So first off, let's discuss, you know, there's always seminal moments in everyone's career. And there's those aha moments where you're like, oh, and it sort of changes the trajectory of your strategy and some of your tactics. And how often does that happen when you get to work with an NHL player you know, such as say Claude Giroux or, you know, Mason McTavish or Brant Clark in when you're working with them and, and doing, you know, helping them be the best that they can be based on their skill sets and who they are as individuals. But how fun is that to have those type of those great lessons? It's extremely fun. I mean, you know, working with, with a national hockey league player, you know, their top 1% in their industry and then you go to, you know, having the opportunity to work with star players, Norris Trophy winners like an Eric Carlson or, or a, a Claude Drew, you know, a 100-point player and, and, a, and an NHL captain and, and players of this ilk. 
um, what you really start to see is is it's such a give and take. You learn as much from them as, as they really do from you, and you recognize some of the ways that they're wired differently. But I think maybe the, the most misunderstood thing about star caliber players, whether it's a forward or a defenseman, but it's, you know, those top 1% of the top 1% type players is really one of the things that makes them so special. And for me, it starts with just their elite fundamentals. Um, that's the first thing that really jumped off the map for me was recognizing that, you know, the, the secret tonic really was, was comprised of, of their fundamental skill set is just elite. They do things that ordinary players do well. They do them exceptional. And, and that really is such a difference in that it's not one magical move or one magical way of going things. They have such a, a strong foundation of elite fundamentals in their skill set, in their puck skills, in their movement. Um, and, th- and that doesn't necessarily mean they're an elite level skater. It might just mean that they're elite at skating the game. You know, I think of a player like Tyler Toffoli that, you know, certainly over the years working on, on fundamental skating was one thing. But one of the things that a player like Tyler Toffoli was masterful at is just making sure he gets to the spots that he needs to get to in skating the game. And so he's a player that kind of jumps up in that mindset. And one of the more recent fellows in a, in a player like Mackenzie Weger in Calgary, um, you know, a, a lot of work over the years, but at the end of the day, just skates the game so well. And, and of course, now you see him rewarded with a, with a multi-year extension. And the one thing that all of these sorts of players share in common is just elite fundamentals in terms of hand skills, passing skills, uh, shooting skills, being able to take pucks from bad areas and turn them into good pucks off of dasher boards and into a clean pass to someone in possession. Those things really jumped off the map for me as, as areas that um, really set those players apart. Pat, you mentioned that, that star players are wired differently for you in your time with them. Uh, can you expand on that and just talk about maybe the, the correlation between mental attributes that you've witnessed over the years that, that separate them? Yeah, 100%. I, I mean, one of the things, you know, when you're talking about the highest end players, really their mental processing is, is ultimately what sets them apart. I mean, we can go to the American League and find all kinds of players that can skate, pass, and shoot at the level. But really, for me, the, the, the thing that's special about high, high end players is, is their mental processing, their ability to take in information and make appropriate decisions based on threat, based on time and space. Um, you know, plays between checks and these sorts of things is just, you know, so much more ahead of an average player that might have elite skills uh, in terms of I can shoot a puck with time and space. What makes the one special is really their ability to do it when people are trying to stop them. And so, you know, for me, that's such a, a, a big proponent of what makes them different. The other things that I, I've, I've often seen is, you know, they're really detail driven. Um, you know, when you're talking to a player like an Eric Carlson or you're talking to a player like a Claude Giroux, you know, they're looking for an edge and little things in those players' games can make such a difference. If it's just creating a little angle change, if it's creating a smaller pocket, just an ounce of time here or there, and, and really they identify with the idea of second save or seconds earned with their movement. And all it takes for a player that processes at that level is just that split second. And so, 
you know, really the idea of them being a student of the game, um, you know, they, they thirst for knowledge and what little things can they impact because it's never a major thing with a, with a high, high end player. It's, it's always typically little things that can create really big differences for them, whether that's creating a little second of time here or creating a, you know, a more favorable angle for a shot opportunity. Um, or how do I extend a possession and create a little bit more time to allow my sense to take over? And so one of the big challenges when you're working with those players is it's not necessarily that you're, you're changing technical skill because that's obviously very difficult to do as players age, but it's identifying where can we make little tactical adjustments that'll allow your skill, your elite fundamental skills to take over because we've created a little bit more time or we've created a little, you know, more of a favorable opportunity for you based on these small adjustments. And really they have that thirst for knowledge, which makes it such an intriguing thing to do, you know, by working with them. Pat, can you expand upon a little bit? You had mentioned it in terms of their processing, uh, how much do you find it um, lessons learned about how quickly those top end players have that ability for resilience of not being too high, not being too low, but when you get too high and you get too low that they can quickly like equalize back to that baseline so that that's when they're at their optimal like abilities mentally and emotionally. Yeah. I mean, typical of any high performer in any industry and in most specific, high achievers are risk takers so really the processing comes down to you know they're wired to want to make a difference in a game they're wired to want to make a play and change the tide of a game and so that processing allows them to see those opportunities and you know elite level fundamentals you know oftentimes will breed confidence that I'm going to try some things and you know the best ones more times than not they work but certainly when there's risk there's also um, understanding how to mitigate risk and, 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 you know, things like puck management and time and place and those sorts of things. And so one of the things that you, you never want to do is you don't want to dull the edge. We want to make sure that, you know, we create them understanding when the optimal opportunity to, to take risk to create is. But then, you know, that strong processing and understanding of the game allows them to sort of temper and mitigate the risks that they take based on, you know, being able to see plays ahead of time, um, recognizing um, threat threat assessments around them in terms of possession, um, you know, or, or pucks changing hands. So it, it's really making sure they understand, you know, that if we are able to do these things, it'll allow us to apply risk in a setting where, you know, the cards are stacked in our favor. Um, and it's really for them using that processing and then those appropriate skills to create advantage in that, I'm not going to put myself in a scenario that I know I can't succeed in. And um, that's always the balancing act. And so, you know, so much of that comes where we'll, we'll take a look at shift video, for instance, and we'll, we'll, during training, we'll look at different scenarios. And there's a lot of give and take in those situations about what feels right, what's comfortable, you know, where they feel jammed up or where they feel like they're not getting um, to be able to, to apply their skill set or their will on a situation based on the risk. And, and going through that sort of flow with them is such a powerful tool because it allows them to, you know, to visualize, all right, here based on feel is where I know I'd like to be and, and here are some of those deterrents. It's, it's, it's such a, a great flow session between, you know, the athlete and the, and the stresses that they have and then, 
you know, as a, as a coach or someone that can help impact putting them into higher percentage scenarios, you know, really weighing all those factors out. And that's what I find really fascinating is the, the give and take between and that feedback loop between the coach and the player and the player and the coach where there's synchronicity in, in understanding that. And that's where I think, you know, we had talked uh, recently about that feedback loop and how that important that is in that coaching. And I, I guess for you, uh, you know, it's exciting because you get somebody so high level and elite at what they do is that the questions they ask are so specific that it allows you to dig in and, and and find solutions for that specific problem, which could be, complicated or even maybe some cases complex so I, I always find that really interesting uh pat we're going to take a short break on hockey prospect radio everybody stay tuned we're going to continue to talk about player development after these short messages the junior prospect hockey league is western canada's newest elite developmental stream for student athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level the jphl features professional coaches and skill development coaches along with comprehensive practice game and academic schedule allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs to learn more and see why the jphl is the ideal choice for your student athlete and family visit juniorprospectshockeyleague.com Instat Hockey offers the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. Trusted by leagues, teams, coaches, and scouts at every level of the game. There is no better choice than Instat to help in the areas of evaluation, development, and exposure for your brand. Their unmatched database saves coaches and scouts hours of time as individual player shifts and stats are pre-cut into separate playlists. Also, the option to edit, share, or download your own clips using Instat stats video editing tools visit instatsport.com slash hockey today for more information instat the institute of statistics outside edge has built a reputation for guiding hockey players toward their potential and provides on and off ice development programs for hockey players outside edge hockey development operates all programs on the philosophy of quality over quantity our strength skills and mental coaches understand the demands of the game and use this knowledge to develop strength speed and energy systems so our athletes can reach their potential the outside edge programming features kpi based strength and conditioning programs skating and skill development sessions for pro junior midget phantom and peewee contact us today at outsideedge.ca Welcome back to Hockey Prospect Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. This is Hockey Prospect Radio, powered by Junior Prospect Hockey League, Western Canada's developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to another level, juniorprospecthockeyleague.com. We're speaking with Mark Cronowit. He's the executive director of Silent Ice. So, Mark, last weekend was the GPHL Finals. I got to watch uh, some of the footage of the event um, must commend um, everyone involved in the production uh, because the quality of the production was really impressive. Like it is as close to what the American Hockey League does. So for anybody who evaluates players for scouts or, you know, obviously families and friends, but, you know, I look at from the scouts perspective and anybody who's working in hockey operations makes our lives so much easier. So um, say thank you to your production crew. Ah, uh, Thanks. Yeah. They're a total pro and, you know, I couldn't agree with you more, Shane, that, 
you know, you look at scouting nowadays, it's not always in person. Sometimes it is through video. So that's one of the things that the JPHL has tried to do is raise that bar in our media production. So if you are a scout and you are having to kind of tune in, uh, not only do you get to watch a high quality hockey game, but you get a high quality production. And, you know, I, I kind of liken it back to, uh, you know, the first time you watched a little league world series on ABC and you're watching these 12 year olds play baseball and, you know, it's a 20 camera shoot and, all these kind of unique things and it kind of makes actually the game look better. And, you know, that was one of the things that we wanted to shoot for. So we have this, some of these things that we have an on ice follow between goals and between plays. We have a guy in a white suit that goes on on the ice and, you know, all of our graphics team. It's quite a, it's quite a production actually. And um, really proud of the team and, and how it kind of promotes our players. And that's really what we're about at the JPHL is we want to show the best, our players in the best light possible and having a great media package is all part of that. Let's talk about the U14s and the, and some of the top prospects from the finals. And, you know, these are the players that we're going to be looking at as they roll, obviously, into the Western Hockey League draft or they go on to play Junior A, is these are the players that – it's funny. When we talk about – people think that we just start at – the first year of your draft eligibility and we don't there's draft minus one there's draft minus two because we have to be able to build a book on a player so let's talk about some of those u14s i know it's early but you know we've got to keep an eye on them i uh, hear it first straight chain at hockey prospects radio i uh, you know I'll, I'll start off you know i really find that there was a few players that raised their level during the u14 uh, playoffs you know the island wild ended up winning our u14 division and they were led by eddie spitz uh, their captain, the guy plays a 200 foot game. He's phenomenal. He led the uh, div- whole division in scoring this year with 84 points and, you know, really see him as kind of that power forward type style and super physical out there. And, you know, I think he's one of those guys that's, you know, heading towards being a first rounder in the WHL pick, uh, you know, another player that's kind of interesting. The other team that was in the final were Lloyd and had a lot to do with the performance of Blake Chorney. Blake Chorney actually led her U14 division in goals with 42 goals this year. Uh, just a real slick player, great vision, great hockey IQ. And then on the blue line, there's Ryland Mon from uh, from uh, the Island Wild again, six foot defenseman, uh, kind of like Spitz. I can dominate a game, has such poise and composure back there. And you know, we're really proud to have these guys in our program and kind of working through. And those are three of the guys that I keep my eyes on for. I know it sounds a long ways out, but all the way to the 27 draft. now. Well, I, I've been doing this for 23 years. Trust me, time goes quickly and you blink and a kid that you scouted that was 16 is now in his like mid thirties yeah. and has kids. So it happens fast. So also I want to ask you about the U 15s because their finals were there as well. And, you know, this is the age group where, you know, the Western hockey league and the junior A teams are really focusing on these players uh, for eligibility for the draft. So talk about some of the top three guys that really stood out for you, for you and the entire group. Yeah. Interesting. I was actually watching the opening, uh, the anthem there. And I was like, I think there's eight draft picks on the ice right now. It's such a deep division. It is our division that is for WHL eligible, but I'll start off with Vanek Popple uh, with the Titans. I, you know, he's one of those guys who can get up and down the ice. He's a defenseman, plays all ends, super physical and really, really skilled. Uh, we think that he's going to be a high pick. Um, Colton Guerriere from Prince George's team, the North Stars. Uh, Colton's, again, big power forward, over six feet tall, uh, led our division in scoring, uh, you know, really kept him in, in the battle here. The, the Titans outshot him both games, but his goal scoring ability allowed to uh, help his team stick in there. And 
Um, the other guy I think I should probably then mention is Luke Van Imschut and Gavin Shoffley, also from the Titans, two forwards. I think Luke's going to go quite high in the draft, and Gavin's a little bit of a hidden weapon uh, there. Um, we have somebody kind of special in our division, actually, in our U15 division. We have a player, and his name is Liam Pugh. He's 2010. He's 13 years old, and he played up two years. He ended up leading the division in the regular season in points per game with over two, uh, 2.75 points. That's crazy. He's, uh, he's phenomenal. Again, it kind of says, you know, what, what type of players are we trying to track to the JPHL? Because we're an independent model, we have that flexibility if a player is that advanced and an early developer. He's actually starting the U14 division, moved up to the U15 division, was one of the dominant players. Really something everybody's going to be talking about for the next few years. Kid's really special and, uh, you know, can't say enough about the Langley program for recruiting him in there and, and giving him a development path that probably may have not been available to him. So that's it for the U15s. Interesting. So let's talk about the U18s. Um, I got to see some of the highlights of that, uh, caught parts of the game as well. So obviously, you know, congratulations to Sean Bell and everyone, you know, on this radio show, we'll remember him as a first round pick for the St. Louis Blues. And could that guy ever skate? He was phenomenal skater. So it was, I thought it was really um, a great pickup in terms of adding him to your staff. And then he comes in and his, his group happens to win it all at the U18 level. Yeah, they were, had a phenomenal uh, couple of games. Uh, they're uh, definitely a more mature team than the Titans. The Titans were primary 2007s playing U18. And Sean's team was just deeper and stronger and was able to kind of roll through that. But, you know, we're talking about high-end prospects. Again, same thing uh, on the Titans team. 12 of the 17 players went to Western Hockey League camps this past year. And it really says to the depth in the program, uh, got to start off right at the top with Matt Lessick. He's a third round pick of Spokane, yeah. uh, but recently signed with the Spruce Grove Saints, a letter of intent. Uh, he is just, he takes people out of their seats. Uh, just a most powerful skater. You know, I, I remember watching that last Scott. rush. La- you guys, anybody gets a chance to watch a video. There's only a few seconds left, maybe 10 seconds left. And he pulls it behind the net and he goes on a rush. And it made me pause the video and go back and watch it again. Yeah, it's one of the, he's like, who is that guy? Yeah. And you just can't miss him. You see him bust loose and his ability to separate himself through checks and how powerful he is, uh, you know, really see him as a high-end prospect and complete game. And just for context, he started playing independent hockey seven years ago with uh, uh, the TR team, with Team Revolution, and uh, came over to Saints Pro Hockey Academy, and now he's with the Titans. And uh, he's one of those guys who puts in all the effort off the ice, Shane, and we know how important that is. He's quite a specimen. He's, he's just so powerful. And then I don't know if you got a chance to see the last goal by the Titans scored by Samuel Charco, but that yep. one in the rink, people on both sides of the rink were clapping and gasping, actually. It was absolutely spectacular. Kind of picked the puck up behind the net and attacked through. And we were saying afterwards, it looked like Sam was trying to put his entire team on his shoulders and come on, guys, let's go. And Again, same thing, has all those off-ice attributes that, you know, he, he works so hard to become physically stronger. But, you know, he also works at his game. His skating has come miles and his ability to attack in the holes and big, strong guy. And I, I see him really challenging uh, for a job with the Seattle Thunderbirds next year. And then there's the other guy on his line, like Antonio Moderana, who led the whole division in scoring. And I tell people, he kind of reminds me like a Braden Point, just so fast and his ability to uh, to attack areas and how physical he plays and he can score goals. And, you know, there's guys who can, uh, you know, we talk about guys who score goals and we talk about goal scorers. This guy's a goal scorer. 
and he's a big game goal scorer and, you know, couldn't say enough about him. Um, last guy, couple guys can't leave off Ty Riley off Sean Bell's team. I, he's the guy you again, can't miss him. Just a phenomenal skater, powerful guy. And last guy just can't leave off the goalies, Ryan DeCoke from, uh, uh, down in Lloyd, pardon me, in Lethbridge. So, you know, the Titans played Lethbridge in the, uh, semifinals and DeCoke basically held him one, nothing coming into the third period in both games. Uh, he also signed a letter of intent with the Spruce Grove Junior A Saints. So he's going to be playing for the Saints next year. Uh, just a phenomenal prospect, we think. And also got ended up getting listed by Seattle. So, you know, we can definitely see which teams are out there recruiting harder and are these trying to get those best players. And, you know, for those type of players, they have people in front of them that have had success. Uh, you know, this year in the Western Hockey League, we have ex-HSL players that came through Scotty Ratzlaff. Bryce Pickford, who we think next year is going to be high pick. Simon Loveson, who played for the Saints this year. These are all guys that people can look up to out of our JPHL programs. Guys that came through that alternative independent stream. And they're kind of the first group. And the 2007s are really that first group of athletes that are pushing through Shane into that next level. You know, we also have to remind that it's process and it takes, it really takes five or six or seven years uh, before they hit that level. It's an ongoing uh, marathon it's really just, it's not a sprint and the expectations of, of players making radical changes. Yes. They improve every year, but it's just have to build upon it. You know, it doesn't sound sexy process, but if you want to make it there, it's just process. So that's yeah. It. Yeah. And you know, I, I use Cole Connolly as probably one of the best examples. He's been in our program seven years. You know, he's going to challenge for a spot with Red Deer, and he's a process kid. He does every all those deficiencies. He goes after him. He tries to make it better all the time. And those are the type of athletes that end up becoming better NHL prospects later. Oh, absolutely. Well, Mark, thank you very much for coming on the show. Really appreciate the insight of what happened in the finals. Oh, if anybody hasn't seen the video of the new rink coming in in South Edmonton, that's impressive. The Thanks, double Shane. pad rink with all the amenities. It, honestly, it looks like the Pittsburgh Penguins uh, practice facility that they have where the USHL plays their uh, tournament in the beginning of the year. Like, I'm not kidding. It's that nice. So anybody yeah. who gets a chance to go see it, it's it's really nice. Yeah, it'll be the home of the Hockey Super League and the Junior Prospects Hockey League. We needed a home, Shane, so we can do the continue these high-end broadcasts and things. And now we, we finally have that. That's really exciting. We're going to take a short break on Hockey Prospect Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Instat Hockey offers the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. Trusted by leagues, teams, coaches, and scouts at every level of the game. There is no better choice than Instat to help in the areas of evaluation, development, and exposure for your brand. Their unmatched database saves coaches and scouts hours of time as individual player shifts and stats are pre-cut into separate playlists. Also, the option to edit, share, or download your own clips using Instat Instat's video editing tools. Visit instatsport.com slash hockey today for more information. Instat. 
the Institute of Statistics. Outside Edge has built a reputation for guiding hockey players toward their potential and provides on- and off-ice development programs for hockey players. Outside Edge Hockey Development operates all programs on the philosophy of quality over quantity. Our strength, skills, and mental coaches understand the demands of the game and use this knowledge to develop strength, speed, and energy systems so our athletes can reach their potential. The Outside Edge programming features KPI-based strength and conditioning programs, skating, and skill development sessions for pro, junior, midget, phantom, and peewee. Contact us today at outsideedge.ca. Prospect News and Analysis. This is Hockey Prospect Radio with Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. Welcome back in this Hockey Prospect Radio powered by Junior Prospect uh, League, the Western Canada's newest developmental stream for student athletes. So we're happy once again to bring on Dave Poulin for Behind the Curtain segment. And this week it's it's appropriate based on the timing of the, you know, the regionals for the NCAA and a lot of the free agents are being signed. And I really want to get your thoughts. One, because obviously you were on both sides. You were a coach at Notre Dame, and then you were an executive with with the Leafs. In, in trying to figure out the success rate and the value of NCAA free agents, because I remember when it wasn't a thing in Canada. Like, no one really talked about it. And then TSN, bless their heart, I give them credit for it. They made it into a thing, and it just it's blown up. And now there's so much attention towards who's available and who's a free agent signing particularly because it's it's a free asset like you didn't have to pay a draft pick I mean, other than paying the contract to the player there's no asset acquisition cost to that signing so talk a little bit about when not only when you were a coach at Notre Dame and a, and then an executive talking about how you evaluated those free agents because they're not always successful at the NHL level but they can also provide really great value at the American Hockey League level Boy, you're missing the first part of the story, Shane. I was a college free agent. That too, yes. <laughs> Just a minor detail. I was uh, ahead of the curve in terms of that and came out in, graduated in 1982 and played a full year in Sweden before joining the Philadelphia Flyers organization. But if we take it from a coach's standpoint, my first year as a head coach at Notre Dame, I had a high-profile free agent in Mark Eaton. And Mark was on a partial scholarship that come out of the USHL. He was from Delaware originally and just had a magnificent freshman year. And I remember sitting down with him at the end of the year. And because there was a lot of buzz about him, we played the university of Michigan in the playoffs that year. And Mike Van Ryan was a freshman who was draft eligible and a very heralded freshman was going to be a first rounder. And Mark Eaton was better, flat out better. Mark Eaton had a better freshman year than Mike Van Ryan did. So as much as Van Ryan was heralded, playing against him helped scouts evaluate firsthand. I remember standing talking to a scout and he's like, your guy's better. And and we're coming after him. And they did. And so it was a process for me. I sat with Mark and his family and we chatted about the whole situation. And I thought he was ready to play. It was also before there were limits on scouting, on signing bonuses rather. And the bonus they were going to give him was substantial. And it ended up being the Philadelphia Flyers that signed him. And by the way, it had nothing to do with that. <laughs> I really did. Uh, they offered the, the most money and the most attractive package. From a team standpoint, it's about making yourself attractive to the free agent and showing that there's a plan 
and that you're not just mass flooding and mass signing and using up your 50 contracts and, and going out because maybe you didn't have the draft picks and you're just adding to that pool. But it is a free asset, Shane. You're very right. And, you know, if I'm advising, as I was then, Mark Eaton, it would be to find the best possible situation for him. And also, what has the track record been with college free agents with that team? And, you know, we were involved my first year with the Leafs. We brought in a college free agent the year before, but it was Joe Newendike, who was then a special advisor to Brian Burke, that brought him in. And that was Tyler Bozak out of the University of Denver. And he was in great demand. And we were able to get him. We put him with the Toronto Marlies in the American Hockey League for the first half of the year. And I was actually with Tyler down in Milwaukee in Chicago Wolves in that little swing when we made the call and we were bringing him to Toronto and I brought him with me back for the Toronto Maple Leafs. And it's about fit. If I'm selling what I have to offer, it's about fit. It's about opportunity. And, and it's about my draft and development system without the word draft. So you, I'm putting you into my development system and you're going to go through the process. Some of the things to watch for from a team standpoint, Shane, are, you know, a lot of these kids are a little bit older, maybe 22, 23 years old if they've played their four years of college. And will they be able to adjust the role they've played in college to what the team needs in the NHL? So, for instance, if you were a big scorer in college, and a lot of these kids are, are you going to fit as a third-line left wing, you know, on the team? And what process is going to be involved in that? Or have you just been the best player and you're not going to be able to adjust if you're not in a top six role? Because very few are able to jump into a top six role. So a lot of questions go into it. But the bottom line is you can acquire an attractive free agent who would arguably, if he were in the draft and it wasn't age relative, maybe be a top three round pick and put him in your system a little bit older, a little bit stronger, a little bit more of where, where he is in his career and a chance to step into your organization. Yeah. I find it really interesting how much of that conversation really gets pushed on. This is the plan we have for you and expect that, you know, because of this is our philosophy, you're going to spend some time in the American Hockey League and, you know, the coaching staff, player development staff and yourself are going to dictate when you're ready to play at the NHL level. And, you know, this is our track record and this is why we think it's absolutely necessary to make that transition through to the American Hockey League, because I think sometimes junior players, college players, even European players don't recognize how tough the American Hockey League really is in terms of how good the league is. I I say it's the second best league in the world. I know there's some European teams that have a lot of skill, but for me, it's hard to discount how great that league is. Yeah, very much so. And, and Tyler's a great example. And, and we thought he needed time in the American Hockey League, and he did. But he quickly showed that he was an offensive force in that league. Now, we didn't project him as a first-line center. The problem is we didn't have any other first-line centers. And he ended up coming and building a nice rapport with Phil Kessel and became a first-line center in the NHL. Now, Tyler Bozak was arguably best suited to be a second-line center, maybe a third-line center. He probably right. grew into a second-line center. 
But when he was that in St. Louis, he was good enough to win a Stanley Cup to be that depth guy. And But with what we had in Toronto and how thin our organization was when he joined us in 2009-10, he ended up being Phil Kessel's running mate on that top line. Yeah, and it sort of reminds me of a similar scenario when I saw that happen was I thought of Craig Conroy and Jerome McGinley in Calgary, where Conroy may have been better suited at lower down, but because of his defensive abilities and that chemistry with, with Iggy, it just made sense to keep him there. And quite frankly, I had the same situation in Philadelphia because I, I arguably was perfectly cast as a third line center. And when I was a rookie and paired with Timmy Kerr and Brian Propp, now Bob Park was still there. Daryl Sittler was still there. We still had some pretty good centermen ahead of me, but you know, when those two moved on Sittler through trade and Clark through retirement, I became the de facto number one center because we didn't have anybody else. And I had built a, a, a nice, you know, playing style with Tim Kerr and Brian Propp. But I think it's about role. It's about fit. It's about an ability. And most players coming in the NHL have to adjust the role that they played, albeit junior, you know, college, whatever it may have been. They were the best players and the best scorers. Well, there's a great chance you know, I used to laugh when, when I would talk to some of my own players when I was coaching at Notre Dame, and they'd get drafted by, say, you know, we'd get drafted by Pittsburgh and I'd say, well, you know, if you're going to Pittsburgh right now, uh, there's a good chance that the Crosby kid is going to be ahead of you and maybe the Malkin kid, you know, or right. whatever it may be. I've got some pretty good players. And, you know, through no fault of your own, uh, you're going to have to be at best a third-line centerman and you're a first-line star here. So the ability to adjust, the ability to to alter their own games, but we're back to the real reason they're so attractive is because the cost of acquiring them is just selling what you have. It's not a, a hard fiscal price. Uh, certainly, and I think everything changed, obviously, when the salary cap came in and the value of players changed and you have to find creative ways to you know, add to your roster because not all draft picks are going to make it and not all your free agents are going to work out and all your trades will work out. So, you know, if I'm a, you know, general manager in the NHL, it's a focal point for me. And also I want the players that are a little bit more mentally, emotionally, physically mature, mostly on the maturity side of mentally and emotionally than physically, because I think they adapt a little bit quicker. A lot of these college programs just do great jobs. And I mean, to walk into some of these places, and, and I've walked into many, um, they're as sophisticated as a lot of pro operations are in terms of their off-ice development, their sports science, obviously their strength and conditioning. They do a lot of the draft and development. You're, you're essentially buying three to four years of draft and development, and many of them are on a par with what's being done at the NHL level. Dave, once again, I want to thank you very much for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Safe travels out there. We are done for the show this week. To all our guests, thank you very much. Another edition of Hockey Prospect Radio, and we will see you at the rink.